Oh, whoa. Awesome. I love how like this whole conversation kind of sounds like we're a support group going around the circle, eh? But, but I kind of think we actually are, and that's something that I kind of love about Blueprint. Like, I think the best churches kind of model themselves off the 12-step program, you know, because we're all in some form kind of coming away from these um, different addictions, whether they're addiction to self or their addiction to stuff or um, their um, addiction to being liked, you know, that, that all of us carry these different brokennesses within us that we need Christ to liberate us from um, and um, you know sometimes we uh, sometimes we kind of try to make the uh, the church look like a pro athlete team rather than a hospital and um, I kind of I kind of think something I love about this place and have always loved about it um, is that it is a place where um, where we can suffer but also a place where we're made whole um, and, and that's a beautiful thing. One of the metaphors we use to talk about this community, which the people who call this place home will probably know quite well, is from 1 Samuel 22, and it's the story of David. And David is being hunted down by Saul. David has been told that he is going to be king, and he's running through the wilderness, fleeing for his life. And along the way, he meets all these kind of ragtag characters, um, like, he just meets the worst team. If he was building a dream team, they're like, they're thieves, they're murderers, they're, you know, they're pillagers, they're just... And he ends up hiding in this cave with these guys. And it says in this passage that he went into this cave, the cave of the Dullam, and gathered around him with the, dis- the discontent, the distress, and the indebted. And so he basically forms this kind of church of people who are a bit messed up. Um, and they all come into this cave together. But then the beautiful thing about it is that it says that in time they became the mighty men and women of valour, that there was this process of healing that went on. And, and something we've really felt about this place is that this is a place, first and foremost, for the discontent, the distressed, and the indebted. You know, Jesus said, I have not come for the well, I've come for the sick, because the well do not need a doctor. Um, and so, so that is, I think, really at the heart of our community. Um, and there are a whole bunch of other kind of metaphors and pictures which the people around here will know. But what we're going to do over the next few weeks um, is just drop some blogs around the, um, the Blueprint Facebook page and, and, and provide a way for some of you who maybe haven't been here as long uh, to get to grips with some of the heart of who we are. Um, the call this year was around this theme of as above, so below. And the idea was that... Um, that when you have a tree, a tree's roots need to go as wide beneath the earth as the branches need to go above it. And if you have these, um, these wide branches and no roots beneath it, a storm comes along and it rips the thing out of the ground and it falls over. But also you never see a tree with deep roots that doesn't also have a large canopy. And so a call that we've felt this year is to challenge one another. For those of us who have a big external expression of our faith, there are a number of like activists and passionate people to change our community here, that for those people, we would go deep in God and we would find a depth in Him to support this life that exists above. But the call has been for those of us who go deep in God and deep in prayer that we would begin to reflect that knowing our neighbours and having our heart broken for the causes of injustice and having our hearts changed to be merciful to those who need mercy. And so um, that's really been the journey we've been on this year and that's been a, uh, a crazy journey for me and, and I hope for you too. But I want you to hold on to that as we go into... Um, this passage we're going to look at tonight. Um, and before that, just a couple of like housekeeping things that some of you may have been wondering about who have been around here for a while. Um, 
We have talked for a little while about this dream of a contemplative space of prayer, a chapel in the central city. Um, and we have been trying to find a place. It turns out landlords find you really weird if you try to start a prayer space with them. Um, so we are, we're holding on to that dream, but what we're going to do with that temporarily so we can move forward is there is a dingy upstairs room at Cuba Chapter at the top of Cuba Street, and uh, apparently we can steal some pews from Lyle Bay. Um, so um, basically we're going to deck that out, and probably in about a month's time we're going to begin to hold rhythms of prayer in that space for our community that people can come join um, and, um, and have a, a space of, um, of peace and contemplation in the city and to begin to cultivate those rhythms before we have another space in which to do that. Um, so um, we'll keep bringing info on that, but if you're wondering where that had got to, um, that's it. And, and basically we are like stretching ourselves in a whole lot of different areas right now to care for this community well, like bringing Rose on board to have better pastoral structures. What that means is if you are here and you have an income, we'd really love you to contribute to the, the life of this community um, and to, and to, uh, yeah, to give to it. And honestly, it's not about whether you give 50 cents or $50 a week, although $50 a week would be awesome. Um, it's not about that. It is about um, the fact that if you belong to a family, you contribute to a family. And so it's about saying we're all in together, you know? And if you're someone here who, like, man, it's bad financial times, um, then please feel no pressure. But we think that those of us who are doing well um, should support those of us who aren't doing so well. Cool? So the passage we're going to look at tonight and that I'm going to um, talk to who we are as a community <coughs> is Matthew 16, 21 to 28. So what I'll do is I'm going to read this twice with a little space between. Um, make yourself comfortable if you want to close your eyes. Um, if you want to like move to a comfy space on the floor, you can do that. Um, and I find it helpful to kind of imagine a passage. So here we go. Matthew 16, 21 to 28. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Read it one more time. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. 
Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but only human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. You uh, open your eyes if you've had them closed. Three things we need to know about this passage um, before we get stuck into it. The first of them is that this has pivoted in a very interesting way from the passage just before it. Um, Basically the one before it, Jesus was giving Peter like mad props for being an awesome guy and is encouraging him. Um, So he says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, that means rock, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So kind of Peter's had like a pretty rough kind of minute and a half here um, where Jesus has been like, you are so reliable and you are so A-team that I call you rock and I will build my church upon you and the future of this movement is going to rest upon your shoulders and I'm going to give you these magic keys and these keys can open every door in the world and it's going to be awesome. And then a moment later he's like, get behind me, Satan. You know, it's a crazy kind of couple of minutes that has happened here. So that's the first thing you've got to know. The second thing you've got to know is that this is the first time that Jesus has unveiled his master plan to the disciples. And the master plan that they were waiting on and that who prophesied about was that Jesus was going to come and overthrow their oppressors. He was going to come and overthrow the Roman Empire who had taken over their land and put the Jews rightfully back in the place they believed they deserved. And they thought that probably how this would happen is that Jesus would look something like Jon Snow um, and would be on a white stallion with a sword above his head and would come in and cleanse the heathen masses from their temples. They're like, yeah, right on, you know? And this is why when Jesus comes into town in Jerusalem, the people come out onto the streets and start yelling, Hosanna, Jesus is Lord, and waving palm fronds, which were the symbol of Jewish resistance. You know, it was this violent, powerful revolution that they were after. And instead, Jesus says to Peter that I'm going to die a humiliating death. And that is how this world is going to be transformed. So the expectations have totally been flipped on their head. The third thing you've got to know is that Peter has violated a crucial cultural rule in this moment. One of the number one rules for when you're hanging out with a rabbi or a teacher is you cannot critique them at this time. You are not allowed to critique them, any rabbi. And this is the son of God rabbi. He is the wrong one to critique. So Peter goes, listen, Jesus, pulls him out and says, you're talking crazy talk. And there is all this cultural offence going on here. And an interesting thing of theologian notes is that in verse 22 it says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So we get the impression here that Peter began to say something to Jesus. And Jesus is so furious, he actually cuts him off 
mid-sentence. So it's not like line for line as it's written, but it's more like something like, never, Lord, he said, this shall never get behind me, Satan. You know? That this is like a fiery exchange happening here that is occurring here. This is not play nice. This is Jesus pissed off. It is not a civil conversation. And so what I want to do tonight is draw out some key things about the skirmish here. And the first one we want to note in this passage is that Peter here sees who Jesus is, but he does not actually hear him. He sees who Jesus is, but he does not hear him. And I'm going to embarrass someone, probably the third or fourth time I've told this story. Um, But when we were at high school, we used to be known as the God Squad, me and my friends. I'm not proud of it. Um, And what that meant is that we were just really into Jesus and we wore the WWJD bracelets and the frog bracelets. And I think there was another one. What was the other one? Push, pray until something happens. Um, And you know, in our like MSN profiles, the day after parachute, we're like 364 days to parachute. You know? So we were like Christian nerds as, and we're known as the God Squad. Um, And we were kind of more defined by what we were against than what we were for. And I remember that we were like, man, we were super judgmental. I think a lot of people go this way when they first come to faith. You know, you kind of like pendulum swing the other way. And, um, and I can remember that um, there was this um, total hick who we used to hang out with, Daniel Geary, um, <laughs> who I think has had a beard since he was about three. Um, and, um, and I can remember that Dan never hung out with us at lunch. And, um, and we'd be like, Dan's backsliding. <laughs> He's probably in the toilets smoking alcohol and, <laughs> and drinking drugs. <laughs> and we're like, no, the, guy, the guy's missed it, you know? He never wants to hang out with us, the God Squad. And what we discovered as we went on, I'm going to shame out Dan here, is that Dan didn't really want to hang out with us because Dan had, had, would find his way every lunchtime to the base one classroom and he'd find the young people with intellectual disabilities or the young people who couldn't get around on their own and he'd spend the lunchtime with them instead. See, we had seen Jesus, but we had not heard him. Dan had heard him. We had seen Jesus. We had met with him in services, but we had not heard him to when it came to someone actually doing the work of Jesus, we accused them of not being in our club. It's, it's a crazy, crazy thing. It is possible to know Jesus and yet not to hear him. Possible to meet with him and be comforted, but not to follow him. It's possible you come here every Sunday night and Jesus makes you feel nice, but you are not following him. And Jesus will meet with you because he loves you. But it doesn't mean you're following him. Peter sees who Jesus is but doesn't actually hear him. One theologian says Peter had divulged Jesus' secret identity and plan, yet retained a faulty concept of what that identity entailed and what it called him to. We can meet Jesus. It doesn't mean he changes us any more than I can meet Jesse, and it doesn't mean we're friends. We are friends, by the way. Um, (laughs) Is it possible we come each Sunday, we meet, we are comforted, but we do not hear? Peter sees who Jesus is, but he doesn't hear him. The second thing Peter does here, Peter is called, but that calling is not obedient to Christ. 
Now, I remember um, a few years ago, one of the things me and Dan used to love doing was listening to this band, Rage Against the Machine, um, who, um, were there any Rage fans around here? I feel like I'm getting older because people are like, who are Rage? Like, talk about Macklemore. Um, no, um, and, um, down with the youths, yeah. Um, and, uh, and so it was, I must have been about 21, 22 when the news came through that Rage had got back together again. And I was just like, I think I cried a little. I was so excited. And so we get online and we book these tickets. We find out their first show after reforming is going to be in Auckland. Um, and so we, 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 we go to the big day after the show. We basically camp out at the front of the stage for the whole day and, um, and, and just, just pack in um, to the space. And then they come on and it's just like, like my mind exploded, eh? Like, it was, like, just incredible. And some kind of wild demon took hold of me. And I managed to claw over all these larger, stronger people and get within two rows of the front while they're playing the song Gorilla Radio. And, um, and, and I, like, reach over the front, and at that moment, Zach, the lead singer, comes, like, right down to the front. No shit, right? <laughs> and, he, and he, like, leans over... And looks at me as he says this one line, all the music cuts, you know, all the lights went down, it's just me and <laughs> And I knew, you know. Um, and, he, and he shouts and he says, it has to start somewhere, it has to start somehow, what better place than here, what better time than now. And he's just looking into my eyes and his dreadlocks are sweating down onto the stage. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, what the hell is that? And, and I had this revelation, it's true, that Zach from Rage Against the Machine is a prophet. But actually, but actually, I, I actually think he is. He's a prophet who has become a prophet for violent revolution rather than what he was meant to be a prophet for, which was the revolution of love of Christ. And so Peter had been told here that he has calling and talent, that he is the rock on which this church will be built. But it did not mean that calling was obedient to Christ. And it's interesting what Jesus does here, because earlier on he said, you are the rock on which I will build my church. And then in this passage, passage 23, he flips it, he flips the metaphor. He says, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. So this calling, which he says Peter has for the kingdom of God to obey Christ, to transform the world, this calling can either be for the kingdom, or he says in this case that that very calling is the thing which is tripping people up on their way to knowing God. Isn't that interesting, eh? Peter is called, but his calling is not obedient to Christ. Jesus inverts the metaphor to show that Peter, though called and talented, has become an obstacle to the gospel. The world has no lack of talent and call. It has a lack of talent and call submitted to Christ. Third thing Peter does. Isn't that great how everything in the Bible comes in threes? So helpful. I remember... um, you know, when I first came to faith, about 13 or 14, and I went along to these youth rallies. And we'd have these incredible, tangible experiences with God, and I don't doubt that God absolutely showed up. It was, like, incredible, you know? And it, it put in me this belief 
that Christian faith, that the journey of faith would just be one where life gets better and better and better and better and better and following Jesus is just a one-way ticket straight to the top on the J train. (laughs) And, you know, then come these moments in life. I've had a few of them. I can remember about two years in where it was like the voice of God just went silent to me. And the emotions kind of went away and the excitement of following Jesus pulled back. And I say to God, what is this? I remember going up to one of the same speakers from one of those first youth conferences who had gone back to town and saying, you said it was going to get better and better. But now I can't hear God. And he's like, oh, I don't know. Go away, you crazy kid. (laughs) I remember a few years later, you know, walking home one evening while we were working at Zeal. And suddenly feeling this blanket of self-loathing and darkness fall over me. And that was the beginning of a season of three or four years battling with anxiety and depression. And again I asked God that question. You said it was supposed to get better and better and better and better. And it doesn't much feel like it is. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my my sake will find it. Peter wanted a kingdom without a cross. Peter wanted a kingdom without a cross. He wanted the transformation of Jesus without the suffering of Jesus. You see, Jewish teaching emphasised a triumphant Messiah. They could never imagine any other way except Jesus arriving like Jon Snow on the White Stallion. In fact, even after Jesus came, it took a hundred years for Jewish teachers to even be able to entertain the idea of a suffering Messiah. See, Peter here cannot envision a way where the world changes through suffering. We want a kingdom without the cross. Today we have people who want good things like the king, Jesus' kingdom to redeem creation and the environment. It's a good thing. They want Jesus' kingdom to come for the refugee situation. That's a good thing. They want Jesus' kingdom to come for the housing crisis. Also a good thing. They want the kingdom, but they've forgotten that the kingdom comes through the cross. So the moment you begin to question on some of those things we hold most personally prized and ask people to suffer as they lay down their old life, you're met with hostility in how they spend their money, in their sex life, in their pride, in their reputation, in who they date, marry, in their career aspirations and where they choose to live. See, we want the revolution, but we don't want to pay the cost for the revolution. We want the kingdom of God, but we don't want the cross, which was the road to resurrection and the new life. We want all the good stuff, but we don't want the transaction Jesus said had to happen for us to find it. So Peter meets Christ but doesn't hear him. He is called but not obedient with that calling. He wants a kingdom without a cross. So what does that have to do with our community here at Blueprint? Well, a few years ago, we had this prophet come through, Cindy Ruakiri, who many of us know. 
And she brought this word to us probably five or six years ago that Blueprint was to be like a prototype. She said, you're going to be a prototype that other churches see and they rethink church because of you. That we were people who were meant to draw the church back to its holy call, to its peculiarity. And the Western church has, like Peter, seen Jesus but not heard his call. It has been called but not been obedient. It's wanted a kingdom but it hasn't wanted the cross. It's wanted a Christ who comforts us but never challenges us. A Christ who gives us gifts but never asks us to use them for his kingdom. A Christ who heals but who never asks us to suffer. The Western church has refiltered our picture of Jesus through reputation, wealth and comfort and come out with someone totally different. We believe that we can follow Jesus and always increase in popularity and esteem. We believe we can follow Jesus and increase always in wealth and security. We believe we can follow Jesus and increase always in comfort and individualism. But it doesn't work. Because Jesus said we must lose our lives to find them. And the Western church is always trying to find our lives to find them. Jesus says if you want your life Throw it away. And so we have this call as a group of young people with nothing to lose. To ask that Western, idolatrous, bloated church to come back to true north. When I look at Blueprint, I see a whole bunch of people who have not just seen Christ but listened to him. When I look at Blueprint, I have seen a bunch of people who have been called and then submitted that calling to God. When I look at Blueprint, I see people who do not take the easy way, but walk the hard roads of suffering with God. People who have disappointed family because they are pushing into community instead of individualism. People who have lost face with their parents because they're using their talents for the kingdom rather than for ladder climbing. People who have lost friends because they moved in with a bunch of zany Christians instead of the new cool flat starting up. People who have been misunderstood because they're not raising their kids the way everyone else expects them to. People who have turned down tens of thousands of dollars to not take the career but to go where God is leading them. And others who have taken the career and then handed those tens of thousands of dollars back to the causes of the kingdom. People who have dared to believe that God can heal them even when they've asked again and again and again and again and it looks like nothing has changed. People who have given their lives away. That's what I see in this place. I see the courage of people like Sophie who walk away from a teaching career because she feels a call to a bunch of young people in our city who desperately need to be educated in a way that they understand. I see the courage of James and Jenna Harris, who have this desire to travel but decide to anchor themselves down for a few years to care for young people who others won't. I see Andy and Cindy, who left their house out in Tawa to go replant a church in Lyle Bay and to raise their family there. I see folks like Susie, have had some real legitimate reasons to question the goodness of God, but keep coming and hoping he will show up. 
I see people like Andrew Madiba who works high up in zero and comes to me and says, I wish Blueprint would challenge me to give away more of my affluence. I'm proud of those people. I'm proud that we're that kind of community. What about me, though? We're people... Nathan, I'm proud of you, too. (laughs) (laughs) So Blueprint has been and must continue to be a place that doesn't just see Christ but listens to him. Not just a place that is called but one that obeys and a one that then embraces both the kingdom and the cross that leads to the kingdom. May we be a people who throw our lives away at the invitation of Jesus. May we be a people who says, what is the point of gaining everything if we lose our very souls in the process? So what I want to do is um, invite us to a response to that. And um, I think what we're going to do is begin by just, I'm going to give you three responses with three postures, which you can use or not use. Um, But we're going to begin by listening to what God may be saying. And so um, there might be a particular thing that speaks to you out this evening. But a posture we can take to begin with is maybe you want to close your eyes, but one, one posture we can take is to hold our hands out receptively to what God might be saying. So let's just close our eyes. And we're going to do this for a couple of minutes and I'll call you back. Father, we invite you to speak to us now. To challenge us. We've ever seen you but not followed you. To give us courage for the cross that leads to the kingdom. Speak now, Holy Spirit. God saying for someone it's okay that you're scared take heart for I have overcome the world 
I feel God asking for a bunch of us, will you make me Lord over your life? So the next posture we can take, if you feel like you're saying, yes, Lord, I don't just want to meet you, I want to follow you, is we can kneel where we are. You only do it if you're up for it. Don't feel any pressure. But those of us who just want to kneel and say, you are Lord, I don't just want to meet you, I want to follow you. Kneel where you are or find a space around the room. Just kneel before for the way that leads to the cross. Show us true life. We put our lives in your hands. We say you are Lord Jesus. before Christ and the final posture we take is um, 
We're going to stand together and we're going to worship and declare that he is God, that he is good, that he deserves all the praise and the honour and the glory. And we're going to give him our full voice and our whole heart and give him the praise that he deserves. So why don't we stand together? <clears throat>